What's going on? Just goes to show listeners. It's your co-host Ridge back with another episode. Yeah, it's been a little while. We got Chiss over here as well on the other mic. As always, Jack, it feels good to be back. Um, and we've had a, a really hell of a good run here so far in the Premier League this season. Nine weeks in. Uh, any initial thoughts, buzz, anything you're feeling that you want to get off your chest? Uh, yeah, a couple things. Um, it's been... I mean, it's just been a nice fall, right? Like games, uh, international breaks have really cramped my style. I've never been so lonely when these international breaks, ha- I never felt so lonely. These international breaks really are really cut into me. I just had so much football last season that I kind of got accustomed to everything. But um, today on the pod, what we'll be covering, uh, a couple of variety of topics. I'll give us a quick rundown here. Uh, we'll start talking about Newcastle a little bit, uh, which we don't spend a lot of time talking about Newcastle other than kind of skirting Steve Bruce, but we will today. Talk a little bit about Manchester United as well, um, a little bit about the state of the table, top scores, etc., and then we'll look at the bottom end of the table as well. Um, and then recently, uh, we'll take you to our fa- we've been taking you to our fantasy corner, talking some stats, some goals, some some pickups. Um, and then, as always, we'll end with our predictor picks, which um, I haven't looked at the mini tape mini league. Chris, are you still ahead of me? What is that? Have you looked at it? I honestly, I'm not sure where you and I line the standings, but I know neither of us are top three, so I'll definitely get a little. Uh, a little update on the standings there before we close out the pod, but you're gonna have to wait till the end to find out. Aha, a little teaser. Um, how about you, Chris? Off the off the cuff, any any high level takes? I think the only thing I have is looking at the table right now and kind of looking. You know, nine games in, uh, the the table and the league is shaping up to be very very. Um, instead of the big four, it's the big three. Um, and you look at sort of from fourth until, you know, 19th, really, um, I feel like any team can beat anybody on any given day. Um, and so it's, it's just made for a lot of really exciting games. Yeah, I, I mean, there haven't really been a lot of bad fixtures. Like, even the ones that I normally will write off a little bit, like, for instance, last weekend, the Southampton-Burnley match, that was 2-2 with a you know, really exciting match. Like, even the ones that you, you think might not be uh, the best to watch have been pretty good. Most of the teams are pretty competitive with the exception of one or two, which we'll probably get into. But it is interesting. I mean, it's really early, so it's hard to say. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, like last season, people forget Spurs were first in the table in December at one point. Uh, and obviously that didn't work out well for them. So I don't want to get like a little too ahead of ourselves when it comes to the actual title race. But I agree right now, it looks like there's three clubs that are, are head and shoulders above the rest and all looking really solid. You think you can make a case for any of them. So I know we're going to dive into that. Um, but I think I wanted to just start with something that has been rocking the, the Premier League and just like the football world at large for the past month, probably. Uh, and we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. Uh, so the Newcastle takeover, I, I do want to get a little bit into kind of like what our expectations are going forward for the club, whether it's their manager, or their transfers, or whatever. But for anyone who hasn't really like looked into it, just background on it. Um, obviously, Mike Ashley was the owner at Newcastle for a while. He was not liked at all. The club was not very successful under him. He got criticized a lot for not investing in them very much. And it had been pub- publicly known that he'd been wanting to sell the club for a while. And in comes last year, actually, um, the Saudi Arabia PIF, the public investment fund, uh, came in and almost took over, but it, it fell through. And it, it finally happened this time. So essentially, if people haven't really done their own research on this, I'll give like the high level overview. Um, it was a $300 million or million pound, excuse me, deal to take over Newcastle. And uh, it was the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund is technically the owners of Newcastle now, or I think they're 80% owners. 80%, and, yeah. Yeah, so 
the Premier League has a, a firm stance, I would say, that you can't have a, a club controlled by a state government. And so what the, the Saudi Arabia PIF has ensured and promised is that, um, you know, they're not going to be run by the state of Saudi Arabia. Um, and it, there's, you know, there's a little bit of separation there between the fund and the actual government. I think anyone can kind of see through that. That's not really the case. Um, basically, this this PIF is run by the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, Salman, excuse me, who is pretty well known at this point. Um, was very much in the news a couple of years ago when uh, the U.S. journalist Jamal Khashoggi, I think that's how his name is pronounced, was murdered uh, in Saudi Arabia, and a lot of people believe it was done by the order of. Uh, the crown prince, who is essentially running Newcastle at this point. Um, so they're kind of skirting around some loopholes. A lot of ownership in the Premier League is not okay with it. Steve Parrish included, the owner of Palace, has been very vocal against it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a complicated thing because there's a lot of people that obviously, um, you know, have a lot of moral issues. Uh, the, the Saudi Arabia government is known for um, being pretty brutal to women, to... Um, the LBGTQ community, um, they're, they're obviously they have a lot of human rights um, allegations against them as a country. And so we're basically, you know, letting the, the head of all that take over, despite the fact that uh, the Premier League <laughs> received legally binding assurances that the Saudi state wouldn't control the club. Um, I think anyone can see that that's not the case. So it's definitely a lot of it brings up a lot of like moral uh, conundrums. And it also brings a lot of money into the league, which is why it's happening. Um, everyone's going to make more money off of this, and Newcastle itself is going to be able to invest a ton in the club, which uh, I wanted to kind of pose this to you before we dive into the actual like X's and O's of what's going to happen with Newcastle. If you were a supporter of Newcastle, or let's say like Aston Villa was taken over um, in a takeover similar to this by you know like a government that you don't really <laughs> uh, have a lot of support for, or you have a lot of moral um, issues with, how would you handle that? Because I think Newcastle fans right now are in a very, very difficult position in a way where they've basically been very, very supportive of the takeover. Their club's been uh, at a standstill. It's been falling for a while. This A lot of people had them being relegated this season, myself included. Steve Bruce wasn't doing anything. And now they have like this new, fresh um, sense of uh, like a, a restart almost or you're going to be able to invest so much money. They're linked with every player on earth right now to come there. They're linked with all these different managers. I mean, like, there's there's so many. It, it's pulling you in both directions a little bit. You know, like, how would you feel if this was your club or you were a supporter of Newcastle being in the middle of all this? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And it's it's one that, obviously, if you're new, I was actually born near Newcastle, so I'm not a Newcastle fan. But um, I think my take on it would be, and, and maybe – and I almost, I feel like this is a little bit the guilty way to view it, but or I feel a little guilty saying this, but if I was a fan of Newcastle and, and you know, it's been a miserable last few years, um, I'd be absolutely ecstatic, absolutely ecstatic that someone has come in with significant investment, um, with significant financial power um, to hopefully take my club and like this team that I follow, you know, so so lovingly um, further in the game, um, I would be, I, you know, I would be probably all for it, but I would say I wouldn't frown upon or I wouldn't look down upon any fans who chose to distance themselves from a club because they felt like, you know, they wouldn't want to be associated with an ownership group. Because I feel like if you're a fan of Newcastle, 
you're there before the new owners, right? Like you've you've probably your dad's been a Newcastle fan, you've been a Newcastle fan, you've been there all along. And it almost seems like unfair to ask Newcastle fans, like, hey, you've supported this team all along. Then someone comes in that you have naturally no control or approval process of um, that has, you know, a shady background. So then you're, you know, you're um, you're at the wrong for continuing to support your club. I feel like that's unfair to ask from fans. Um, I think it's fucked up if you weren't a Newcastle fan and then all of a sudden because of this buy, like you're like, oh yeah, sick, they have a bunch of money, I want to jump on board. That's really bad. Like I, I don't, you know, like that. Um, but I think my opinion would be if you know if I was a Newcastle fan, my thought would be, hey, I've been with the club for forever. I've always been a fan, um, and you know I'm excited to stand by. And I think you would have to kind of like hope in the back of your head and your heart that um, those legally binding insurances, you hope that you're like really excited about the money and then you're just hoping that like, oh yeah, the Premier League did do their homework and actually did make sure that like, you know, they don't have an affiliation with the government. You're kind of just hoping that some of those reasons were true and you're, you're trusting the legal and bureaucratic process for that, for that ownership group to be able to, to take controlling stake of the club because that isn't your responsibility to endorse or not endorse the owner, right? You're just there to support your club. So... I mean, um, frankly, a lot of probably the majority of supporters don't like their owners. It seems like that's pretty right. common, but it's a little bit different in this case, right? There's a difference between being, you know, like Mike Ashley, where it's like, hey, like this guy just doesn't love the club or isn't going to willing, willing to push us forward. That's like a legitimate reason to um, to be upset with an owner for sure. Um, this is a, a whole different ball game, so it's interesting. And we saw over the weekend they played Crystal Palace, and there were banners up at the ground. Uh, one that really like made the rounds on social media with it was basically like Newcastle fans in the background singing "We've got our club back" while the <laughs> the crown prince of Saudi Arabia like decapitates a penguin and there's a <laughs> a Premier League official with a clipboard checking off like it says terrorism beheading civil right abuses murder censorship persecution with all checks and like it just is like a lot of like blood money and then. The police are investigating this, the people that made this banner for racist allegations and stuff. It's like, well, I don't know. It, it's a it's a complicated situation. It's unprecedented. There's never really been anything like this. When we talk about wealth and and wealth and these ownerships, like this is, they're exponentially more wealthy than the next richest owner in the Premier League. It's not close. So. Um, you can see why the Premier League's allowed this because they understand how much money it might bring to the league. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of protests. There's going to be a lot of people upset. And I, I think anywhere Newcastle travels this year, there's going to be banners like this. There's going to be chants. There's going to be racism. Um, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting thing to follow through the rest of the year, and especially in January when the transfer window opens up. I mean, do you actually think that Newcastle can invest in a way that like? They're going to be competitive in the second half of the season. Do you think they're going to be fighting for relegation still? They're in 19th with four points right now. Where do you see them going just for the rest of this season? Yeah, I think just like one last thing on the the ownership piece. Yeah, it's just fun. It's just funny. It's like there's just always a bigger fish, you know, and the Premier League and, and even the world in terms of, you know, wealth distribution has gotten to this place where – um, you know, some of the owners in the Premier League are so rich and some of these leagues, these, these sporting franchises are now worth so much money where you attract these gajillionaires to, to purchase them. And, 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 you know, it's like, you know, Abramovich's ownership is, is a bit sketchy, right? Like he, he you know, his family and, and him made his money from the collapse of communism in Russia and, and, and you know, uh, and, and leaving and sinking a bunch of money into an English football club so he couldn't be persecuted abroad. So, like, there's, you know, I, I think... My sort of um, my fan position is I you know I don't have 
I don't have a law degree. I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not in the room. I'm not understanding where all these funds are precisely coming from. I don't understand the controlling stake and the controlling interest. I don't understand the contracts that are signed. I I don't like so, uh, this the this the human rights violations and the you know the uh, lack of uh, women's rights and things like that that are stated with the Saudi Arabian state. I think that's you know very very um, medieval. Um, so I don't like that as a person. Um, but then also on the other hand, like you know I kind of feel like I'm forced to kind of trust trust the legislation and trust the process that it's like you know that it's not corrupt and that they aren't able to just buy their way into the league and i think that's what i would be doing if i was a you know if, if i was a newcastle fan as well but um it'll be interesting it'll absolutely be interesting over these next few years and and to your second point chris like money doesn't necessarily bring success in sport right um, look at less look at lesser city um you know in 2015 winning the title right so um is it going to increase like uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do i think in the short term they need to try and stay up uh and definitely make some moves in january to try and do that do i think that they will stay up yes only because i think that there are three worst teams in the league right i think they'll pr it'll be close um kind of like aston villa did like scrapping to stay up like towards the end of the season i think they will stay up and they'll make a couple big moves in the in the january window and they'll pr they'll go out and get a get a big you know get a strong coach like paul fonseca but they do have a bit of a blueprint to go off of with large investment coming into the premier league and that blueprint is manchester city and if you think back to when manchester city um first you know fell under new ownership very wealthy ownership it did take them a while and they made a lot of extravagant purchases early on with rubinho buying different brazilian players bringing them in for huge transfer fees they were largely unsuccessful for the first you know three years of that ownership group um but all of a sudden if they go down this season that kind of throws that whole uh you know that whole plan and forecasted plan for newcastle into into the bin and um i think if i'm newcastle it's it's you kind of have one eye on trying to stay up the season the other eye on significantly investing um in the infrastructure of the club right um yeah everything from your training ground from your recruitment to your youth ranks and trying and that, to build out that way that's a given um, right like that's gonna happen so over time i feel like money is gonna allow the cream to rise to the crop there to top there like you know what i mean like they're gonna eventually yeah, yeah. They're going to eventually get it right if they have enough money and enough chance uh, to do so. But, you know, you're, you made a good point with Man City and, like, Rubinho, and that's what I see happening in January. I mean, you look at who they've been linked with, uh, and it's, like, Felipe, Felipe Coutinho, Eden Hazard. It's a lot of guys that are past their prime, kind of out of favor at their current clubs, not playing a lot. And you, you know, I've even seen, like, a lot of United guys who haven't really made the, the first team much as of late getting linked there. And mm. it's not really a, a great blueprint, in my opinion. I think it might help them stay up, but they're going to end up having a lot of older players on high wages that aren't very productive. And long term, that's not really a good strategy. I think that's pretty obvious. But that's just what happens when someone comes in like this and they have to make a lot of panic signings and they want to make some splashes. They want to get the fans excited. They want to sell some kits. Um, but it, it's not going to necessarily translate on the pitch. I do think they'll stay up because I think it's just they're going to be a little bit too big to fail at this point. Um, and there are some other teams that are probably <laughs> worthy to go down, like you said. But it'll be, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens in January. It's going to be rumors every single day with every player you've ever heard of going to Newcastle. And you're going to hear rumors about crazy wages and contracts and this and that. So it'll, it'll be great for Sky Sports and The Sun and all these, you know, papers that are just constantly trying to ignite transfer rumors nonstop. But will it actually translate into success in the pitch? Probably enough to stay up, but I don't think much more than that. 
Yeah, it's gonna it, it will be interesting. I think you know even if you look at that team, like that team has some players that like that are you know that aren't that bad, right? That, I mean, Callum uh, Wilson know, just scored Pal- a beautiful bicycle kick against Palace last weekend. Right, scraped out a draw. Uh, and then, and they have Saint Maximin as well. Obviously, Almiron I rate. Um, I think Fabian Scher is not half bad at center at center half. They have a, a couple of good goalies on the um, um, on the roster with Dubravka, Darlow, and, and even Freddie Woodman who's coming and played. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, it, it's going to be it, it's going to be interesting just to see like, kind of what approach <laughs> that they get, and then and then the pressure to sort of like if you're any other team in football and, and you sit down at the negotiating table with Newcastle like you know you're going to make out like a bandit, right? Yep. Because you know how yep. much money they have and you know that they're in a position where they need it's to make something happen mode. quickly. Exactly. And so other people are going to pull off some really, really inflated deals. Um, yeah. You know, and I will hope, say, too, that they have solved their biggest problem already, which was Steve Bruce. So they got him out early. I, I think that they, you know, Steve Bruce is a manager that might be able to keep you up and that's it. And with what they're going to be looking to do in January, he's not the guy. And uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons why Newcastle fans are already on board with this is because they all wanted Bruce out for a long time. Uh, he had his he had his whatever he wanted to say about it. Um, but, you know, sorry, yeah. man, you're not getting results in the pitch. You're not playing attractive football. That's what happens. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing they needed to do. Anyway, I, I don't know if you have any last thoughts on Newcastle. Yeah, I will say I, I will say like I think the Newcastle or Bruce leaving now like officially. And I had a thought about this the other day, officially sort of. Um, stamped on the Premier League that every every single team tries to get the ball on the deck and play it. I think the only team really now that is that plays sort of batten down the hatches, punch you in the nose football consistently every game is Burnley. Dice baby, yeah, right, more. yeah, exactly. And 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 if you think about you know even Norwich, um, and I, I, we'll see what Claudio Ranieri's impression is at Watford, but. Um, it's sort of, you know, I had this thought where I realized, like, the, the age of the Sam Allardyces, the Tony Pulises, the Steve Bruce, you know, the Mark Hughes, where you'd have sort of three, five, seven teams where the top four or top six clubs would kind of go to them and say, all right, we're going to have 60 to 70% possession. It's basically a case of can we break down this blow block and score, right? And and now you watch teams try and get the ball on the deck. Like, of course, you know, Norwich lost 7-0 to Chelsea, but, like, they're trying to play through the press, right? Like, Crystal Palace playing through Arsenal's press. Um, and, and, you know, these are traditional top six teams. So I think it's – I think it's it makes – going back to what we kicked off the pod with, it makes watching all the games truly exciting because you're not getting – you know, I think – Officially, in 2021, the long ball era of hoof it long, you know, try and get guys in the box on set pieces, etc., has officially been sunsetted in the modern game, and you just can't get results doing that consistently. And the funny part is, even if you do get results, your fans don't like it. Right? right yeah. Your fans, your fans probably would have kept them sure. up, but it didn't matter. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really good point, and and Palace is a good example of that because Vieira's already flipped the switch a little bit there. And they have they right. nine points through nine matches, which really isn't a great record, but supporters are loving it, you know. So right. they're on board with that that style, that mentality. So um, anyway, let's let's get to the, the biggest result of the weekend. Um, so for anyone that didn't see, Liverpool uh, put an absolute beat down on United five nil. Uh, I don't know if I've ever watched a game quite like that. And I, I guess we should start with United. So it's been a tumultuous couple of weeks already for uh, Solskjaer and 
I don't really know what's going on anymore. I mean, I thought that he was going to be sacked at halftime of that match. I just don't understand how he could keep his position at this point. Here we are. I really don't know where they're going to go going forward. It seems like he still has support of a lot of the board. What do you think uh, about Ole's future? I think uh, the position that the board is in and the position that it, you know that um, Ed Woodward's in is we – it does – it's such a shitty time to sack your manager now because you can't offer them anything. You can't rebuild until January, right? Um, and you can't, um, you know, it's obviously not an off season, so you're taking taking charge of a team in an off season. So you basically have to sort of, amidst their Europa League fixtures and amidst the Premier League schedule, which is going to get thick and thick and fast here, you know, over these next two months, you've got to sort of gr- try and imprint your style and your brand on a new team, which is really hard to do. And, and, and almost and so part of the reason why almost nobody sacks their manager at this time of year unless you are a relegation candidate and you know you, you just need to live off fumes, right, and try and get the odd result here and there. But you don't see any top half of the table teams doing this very often at all um, just because it, it's so hard to, you know, you need to be playing brilliant football to beat these, to beat these other teams at the top. And, uh, and the other pieces is like, you know, who is on the market at this time of the year manager-wise as well? Right, like yeah, but there, it's, aren't, it's, uh, there aren't there aren't options. So I, I I think the reason why Ole still has his job is not because he deserves it or not because United are better off for it. I think it's just that it's that bad of a time to go out and hire another manager. Like he's not keeping his job because he's keeping it. He's keeping it because United. It's not. There's no one else. This is a bad time to replace him. Right. It's not easy to replace him. That's that's kind of the opportunity cost of replacing him is what's keeping his job. I agree to an extent. I mean, they, there's been a lot of buzz about Antonio Conte coming in, who said he basically has confirmed his interest. Um, so he's he's available, and he's been in the he's won a Premier League right with Chelsea. So he um, or he's been he's been extremely like successful in both Italy and England at this point. I, I've heard rumors about them trying to pull Pochettino away from PSG. I don't know how that would work. I, there, the, the problem with this team right now is. That and the reason why I think that they are maybe going to be forced into making a move is because I really just feel like he's completely lost the dressing room. Um, there are too many egos on the team. I think Ronaldo bringing him in is a problem. I thought it was a problem from the get go, but it's it's becoming clearly evident. And you see, you know, they lose five nil, obviously, right? But Pogba subbed on at halftime, sent off uh, for a, a reckless challenge on Kaita that was really dangerous. Uh, McGuire could have been sent off, not a violent challenge, but was basically last man on a play. And you have uh, Ronaldo, who, if he was anyone else in the Premier League, would have been sent off as well in that game for basically kicking at Curtis Jones on the ground after a play and then just running away. And, you know, none of his teammates are even supporting him at that point. It's It's pretty grim watching them. There's not a lot of players in that team that, like, inspire you with the way that they play, right? Like, Bruno is ultra-talented. So Ronaldo's still, obviously, extremely gifted. And they have all these other young players around them. Pogba, obviously, ultra-talented. But, like, who's the leader on that team? Like, where are they? They don't have a lot of fight in them, you know? I, I think Harry Maguire has a little bit of that. I think Luke Shaw, maybe, at times, has a little bit of that. He was defending for his life and getting torn apart by Mo Salah all day this past weekend. But, like, the first goal they scored, it was a three-on-one. Luke Shaw's the only guy back. Like, how does that happen? 
Um, and I think a lot of the investment was misguided. You know, they're, they're bringing in Sancho, they're bringing in Ronaldo. They're still starting Fred and McTominay in midfield and getting worked. And, you know, they, they're Rashford and Greenwood, and they have so many guys up top. They don't know who to play. They don't know who works with who. Ronaldo offers nothing defensively. If he's not getting service, he's pretty much useless up there. It looks really bad, and I just think that they have enough talent on this squad that if you bring in a new manager and he can get the, the dressing room back on his side and make a couple of tactical tweaks here and there, like they could turn it around really quickly because I do think they have that much talent. But I think it's it's pretty clear at this point that Ole is not right for it. He's always been very leaky defensively. That's not new. Um, but it's just getting uglier and uglier. And like the lack of discipline in this game, is, I think, is very concerning. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think the... I think the right he's always not the right man for the job, I agree. I just think they're going to hold on to him to at least January, if not try their best to give him through the rest of the season. Like I said, just because it's it's not easy, especially these big teams, it's not easy to replace a manager. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, and like they, they don't have enough success kind of to build off of you know right now. So I, ju- I just think that they're gonna they're gonna hold on to him for a while. I, do I think that's the right or wrong move? Um, I mean, if they lose their next like three games, then yeah, it's the wrong move, of course. I mean, but their, ne- um, their next two Premier League matches are against Spurs and City. And if yeah, they don't, I mean, if, if, they, they don't if they lose both of those, yeah, if they don't get a result against Spurs gone. and then it's ugly against City, I mean, they're gonna. The Spurs should be protesting again. They did it last year. They're going to be protesting again outside the stadium. And it's going to be a mess. Remember that game they had to postpone last year? Like, that could happen again just based off results alone here. Yeah, and I think I, I mean to go to, to go back to your point. I think the reason why there is so much pressure is, is is because they have pulled the trigger on some of these big transfers, and their roster. If you go through their starting eleven, is as good, if not better, than any other team in the league. Um, it really is, right? Like uh, at center back, you have um, McGuire with a, a Rafael Varane, right? McGuire um, is like a seven, what seventy million pound center back, and Rafael Varane is a World Cup winner. Um, in the middle of the park, you've got uh, you've got Pogba, you've got. Fred, you've got Donny Van de Beek, who's not even playing, right? You've got Matic, McTominay, um, and then, you know, outside backs, you have Luke Shaw and, and Juan Basaka. And then up top, you have just a, s- a sequence of extremely talented attackers. You have Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, Sancho, Cavani, Lingard. <laughs> R- Ronaldo, Lingard. Like, those are all, the, the, you know, those, those get, those walk into, I would say, you know, Greenwood. Uh, and then, you know, we haven't mentioned Fernandez, but Green, Greenwood... Rashford, um, Ronaldo, Sancho, those four players probably walk into any other starting 11 for any team in the league, right? Like um, Ra- like Rashford, Greenwood are, bo- are better players than Diogo Jota, right? Um, but uh, and Bobby Firmino, but they, but, but, but they, but I mean, they are better players, I think, player for player, but they just don't look better in the, in the system. And so, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, well, that's, I that's the beauty of Jurgen Klopp. It's just he finds the a way to get the best get the most out of his players and that's what Ole doesn't do right um you know there's a reason why Jaden Sancho isn't playing obviously he he hasn't really gotten much of a chance but like I think Rashford you, you see like even Harry Maguire for England he's a totally different player for England than he is for United and I think that Ole just doesn't know how to get the most out of each of his players and they're all just individuals on this team Right, you watch Liverpool play, and you're just like, "Whoa!" Jurgen's got these guys rolling; they're bought into their their tactics, their system. They just play great together. Like Bobby Firmino, they scored five goals, and he was just sitting back. Like 
more in the midfield than anything and causing nightmares for uh, for Fred and McTominay. They had no idea what to do. And, like, Jurgen's just tactically, like, miles and miles ahead of Ole, and so is Pep, and so is Tuchel, I think. Like, they just, I don't think he's just cut out for this job at this moment in his career. You know, I think it's... Yeah, it's, I think, and I, I think, I think we're both on the same page there. I think the case is going to be, you know, do they hold on to him for, you know, how long can he keep his job is now the question, right? He's going to get yeah. the sack. It's just, is it January? Is it New Year? Or is it after the next two games? Time will tell, um, you know, but it is brilliant to see just absolute chaos at United despite them signing all these players. Like, it's, I absolutely it is it. fun. I had a great time. I don't even like Liverpool, and I had a great time watching that. Um, so let's let's touch on the title race a bit because I know we mentioned it off the top, and it is really interesting. So we look, we went back and looked at our predictions for our top four um, a couple months ago before the season started. We both had Man City winning, um, and then the biggest difference was I had Liverpool actually in fourth and United in third. Um, you had you had City Liverpool Chelsea United. I had City Chelsea United Liverpool. So I I wanted to backtrack and say I definitely underestimated <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> they have been incredible. They're unbeaten. Um, they've been. I mean, Mo Salah might be the best player in the world right now. So we can get into that too. But I don't know. Would you at this point, from what you've seen, would you still put your money on City as your title pick nine weeks into the season? Yeah, I would. Um, I think reason being is City, the, and Pep talks about this sometimes, Liverpool can, can wax people. You know, the 5-0, 5-0 win, go, go in 4-3. I think they won, what, 3-2 against Atletico in the Champions League recently, yep. uh, last week. They yep. can go and score a lot of goals and whack people. What, and I think, and City can, and City can do that too. Um, you know, uh, maybe not with the same frequency that Liverpool does, but they can do that too. What City have... Are, what Pep, the drum that he's beating, what they're trying to do is learn how to win. You know, the one nil, two one grind out results against some of these big teams and, and manage their games more effectively. And I, I still think they're going to do that. I think there's a lot of of energy and buzz behind Liverpool right now, rightfully so. But I do think, um, you know, with Pep's squad and and you know, there's players in Pep's team that haven't even gotten rolling yet at all, right? Like. Grealish, um, Grealish hasn't gotten rolling yet officially. Sterling hasn't really done anything all season yet, right? Like every Jesus has been a little spotty. Um, Ferran Torres started hot and then just cooled down. I mean, down. De Bruyne, so, like, De Bruyne, Riyad Mahrez. Like, so I, I think you know, there's still like a lot of really fucking good players in that team. So I, I still, um, I still think I'm going to stay with City. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know the start so far sort of proves why I think Liverpool is going to be second. I think Klopp's. You know, as annoying as he is sometimes, I think he's a brilliant coach, and I think his pressing game um, is the best in world football. Yeah, I think for me, um, I still have the same concerns about Liverpool that I did for the reason why I picked them fourth to start the season, and I just don't think they have the depth that the other clubs at the top do, um, including United. Well, they're older too, right? They're Leaving a little bit older. Country. It's not a young... They're a little bit older for sure, um, but you think about their depth, especially defensively, right? They have a great—they um, have three great defenders in Trent, Robertson, and Van Dyke, And then they have Matip. They've got Konate, who they just signed, who just played last week. Didn't have to do a whole lot against United, though. Um, they got Joe Gomez. And then outside of that, they got a couple young guys, right? Um, like Nico Williams Simi- and Simicas. Right. Like guys that are pretty unproven, um, but, you know, could probably step up in a pinch, but— you, don't want to be relying on them much and then you look at Chelsea and, and Man City and you know this is really evident when we're picking our fantasy lineups 
you just don't know who's going to play because they have so many options uh, defensively. Right. And it almost doesn't even matter. I mean, look at Man City, their, their center backs alone. Um, <laughs> Ruben Diaz, who is world-class, and then John Stones didn't play for like six weeks of the season. He's a starting center back for England, who was great last year. And then you still have Laporte and Ake, who they just spent a ton of money on. That's just their center backs, and those guys are all, I mean, I'd say objectively right. extremely good. Um, fullbacks have always been a little bit more of a problem for Pep, but overall, like, they have a ton of depth there, and and so do Chelsea. And, and Liverpool, I just get real nervous, you know, if Robertson gets hurt or if Fabinho goes out for a long time or they lose Salah. Like, I don't know exactly where they're going to be. Like, Mane really hasn't been that good so far this season. It's been more of Jota um sala and then Firmino kind of coming in and helping out a little bit too uh, to pick up the weight and if Salah plays like this all season i do actually think liverpool will probably win the title but it, i don't know if it's really sustainable it's just insane to watch him play right now um i would say if i had to pick i'd still stick with city too but i am definitely wavering more than i thought i would be yeah, and I think yeah, I 100% agree with your point. If you look at Liverpool's team, right, you can kind of comb through their team and find three, maybe four players who might who are arguably the best player in the world at their position, right? Virgil van Dijk, best center back in the world, arguably. Could make um, a case. Then you think, yep, right back, Alexander Arnold, best right back in the world, arguably. Um, Mohamed Salah, the winger forward, best best winger forward in the world. Definitely. Arguably, right? I would say um, definitely yeah. right and, now. And so and so there there you have three, and then you know you can make this make the case for Robertson at left back. If you wanted to get crazy, you could, you know, make a case for Allison and, and yeah. goal. Yeah. Um, and then in central midfield, from a holding perspective, you could also make an argument with um, with Fabinho. Um, Liverpool's and, best eleven might be better than anyone else's best eleven because I think yeah. they know who their best eleven is, and I don't know if these other teams do. Right, so I think that's a big advantage when they go up against these other top six clubs. Chelsea, City, United, their lineup might be a little bit in question. Right, Liverpool, if they're healthy, like we can pretty much write that in. We know who's going to be playing, and we're going to be very confident in it. So I think they have a huge yeah. advantage there, and those players have been playing with Klopp in that system for a while. Um, and so when they're firing on all cylinders, they're, they're really tough to beat. But I just feel like they're a little bit more susceptible if they do get a knock here or there. I think it will affect them more than some of these other teams. Like you saw Chelsea lose Lukaku and score seven goals. And they're playing Norwich, yeah. but they scored seven goals, <laughs> right? So right. They, lost, they, they lost Lukaku and, uh, and Timo. Timo. Yeah, right. and Timo. So they didn't really have a striker. They played Kai Havertz at striker. He didn't get a goal or an assist, and they scored seven. So that's a little scary. And it's Norwich, but still cheese um and you know you saw city go up against brighton who have been really good and phil foden was just out of control good this week um and they didn't even play de bruyne and they scored four goals so those teams have a little bit more tinkering to do but like when if they're playing in a champions league final they don't know who's starting at this point in the season and liverpool does so i think that's a little bit of an advantage and a disadvantage for liverpool yeah, I agree. I think, uh, and, so, and so we'll see how those. I think we we you know we've cut, we said a few times now it's a three horse race, um, and then the rest of the table. I think you know it, it is a little bit different. It's sort of a one horse. It's Mo Salah's kind of golden boot to lose. It seems at this point because he's already at ten goals through nine games. Um, but looking at the rest of the league, t- the league table with the goal scorers, Chris, we were, we were talking a little bit before the pod around um, who we picked before. I picked Danny Ings, who's only got three, um, which is not gr- looking great at this point. Uh, and Chris, you picked. Um, I picked Lukaku. Who'd you pick? You pick. 
Lukaku, Lukaku, who's also on three. Um, but even like looking through, and, and it goes back to that point that I made around the attractive brand of football kind of throughout the table here. You've got Mikael Antonio with six goals, Jamie Vardy, who's still banging him in um, at Leicester every season, automatic. He's at seven. And those are the top three. So you got 10, seven, six. And then after that, you've got a, a, a bunch of guys with four goals, three goals. Um, you got Huang He Chan at, at Wolves with four. Um, you've got a couple United players with with Greenwood and Fernandez both at four. Um, but outside of the, outside of the top three, again, Neil Mape with four, Ismaili Sal with four, uh, Sun Hyung Min has four, um, Calum Wilson. Um, you know, uh, it, all these guys have goals. So, yeah, Jack, I will say this: there have been a lot of goals this year. I mean, that's one thing that's been really awesome, and most of them have come in the second half, but that's one of the things you were talking about, right? When they're not lugging the ball forward and playing Steve Bruce-type football, Tony Pulis-type football, we see a lot more goals, and we saw three hat-tricks this weekend, which is insane. I mean, that makes me feel a little nervous that Josh King has as many goals as my golden boot pick. It's probably not a very good pick, right? I actually heard this stat. Do you know when the last time Josh King scored was? Um, I before bet you don't. Ever- uh, at Everton? Was he at Everton? He was not. Before he was at Everton? Bournemouth? 2018? His, his last goal was 2019 for Bournemouth. He had been scoreless in his last 32 appearances. Woof. And then got a hat trick against Everton at Goodison Park. Whew. That's tough. Sheesh. Yeah. That is so, tough. But that's what we're talking about. You know, end-to-end football, it's been fun. Like, I can, wa- I can flip on uh, an Everton... Watford game and just be blown away by the action and I don't know I mean yeah. that's that's what I love about this season so far um, and I think it's just going to keep going more and more in that direction um, as as time goes on years go on like this is what people want to tune into uh, and it's getting results so I love it it's yeah. been awesome uh, and then the, so that I guess on that last thing before we sort of move into fantasy and predictor stuff um, do, do you think playing that attractive brand of football which God bless Norwich. They're trying to do. I saw a highlight. It was like Josh Sargent, the American forward for Norwich. I think he had an open net against Chelsea or someone. Like, yeah, Mendy came out. He had an open goal. I think it was against Chelsea. Um, and he just kind of hit this dud into the ground, and it didn't even make it to the goal line. And someone kind of cleared it before, and it was just like an open goal. Like if he just yeah. smashed it, you know, on on net, it would have been a goal. Uh, they haven't won a game. They are are they zero and nine? No, they have a point. Oh, they have two points, excuse me. Who did they draw? So they, do we know? They drew against Burnley, nil-nil, and they drew against Brighton, nil-nil. Yeah. Okay, so two nil-nil draws. They've scored, <laughs> they've scored two goals in nine matches and conceded 23. All right. I'm changing my my pick later right now for our predictor section. We are, One of the games we're in the predictor section is Norwich versus Leeds, and I'm, I'm actively changing it right now. You're, you better not change it to what I have, but... Um, no, 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 I'm not. It's it's dire. I would say – so the difference between Norwich and some of these other clubs at the bottom is Norwich is – they're definitely a yo-yo club. Like, they're a club that comes up that you kind of expect to go back down. Newcastle have been established for a while and obviously have all the money coming in. So you're not as worried about them. Burnley, they're in 18th on four points as well. They've been there before. They're there every year. Sean Dyche knows what to do. Like, they, they definitely could go down. But at this point, Sean Dyche has proven that he's – this is probably where they expected to be through nine matches, right? Like, this is nothing and, new for and, Burnley. And I will say, Maxwell Cornet, their new signing, their kind of club record signing, has looked three, brilliant. Brilliant. I think three goals in four matches. So Yeah, he's looked brilliant. From Lyon, I believe. Yeah, it looks like a good signing. Um, and then after that, there's a little bit of a jump. You got Leeds, you got Southampton, you got Palace, you got Watford. Um, I think Palace are going to be in a good spot. They look great under Vieira. 
Southampton I'm a little nervous about. Leeds I'm very nervous about. And Watford, who knows? I mean, uh, Claudio coming in, maybe giving them a little bit of a spark. How long does he make it? Maybe nine, ten matches before they move on from him, right? Yeah. I think Watford... Right. I think Watford are in trouble. Um, I picked them to go down before the season. I picked, obviously, Watford, Brentford, and Norwich. I think Watford and Norwich will both go down. And then it's just a case of who joins them, right? Um, And, uh, yeah, yeah, Leeds have been been terrible. I'm I'm convinced. We went back and looked at our our picks and I'm convinced that you must have changed mine because there's no way in hell I did not have Norwich going down they are so bad no had, you love you like love yourself a little like pookie pie you like love yourself no it's not about pookie. pookie I do like Dan, Dan, I do like Daniel, Daniel Fark Parker. I do like Daniel Fark yeah. um and I, I honestly think he might make it through the whole season even if they finish 20th because I think Norwich loves him too but I had, I had Newcastle Watford and Burnley and I don't think any of those clubs are very good but um you know Newcastle obviously have had they have some different expectations at this point, but your your Brentford pick was definitely a miss. Go bees! Yeah, yeah. The bees have been the bees have been good. Shout out Gage Minkowski, who's recently picked up. Uh, he's a Brentford fan all of a sudden. Um, but it's yeah. I think I think you know I, th- I expect Norwich and Watford to go down. I don't think um, Renieri does anything crazy. I just think I don't think their squad is to be honest. Uh, Deep enough, I think, and they're too erratic with you know the the club infrastructure and the way they're they're managed. Like you said, Josh King had one goal in the last like three years, and I think he started every game up top for him. So um, zero yeah, goals in his previous thirty two appearances, and then after this weekend, one or three goals in his last thirty three. So I mean, he's definitely on yeah. the uh, the rise at this point, but. Um, and that brings us to our fantasy corner, um, which. On the fantasy side of things, I think, Chris, if, if you don't mind, we can kind of just say like how, like how we're doing in the Ridgeway Fantasy Prem League. And then, um, you know, we're always a little hesitant to say like players you should buy or sell, right? Um, because we know people listen to this podcast. And um, I heard Nick Harmon, shout out Nick Harmon the other day, um, saying he wasn't going to give advice to people anymore because he's currently first in the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League. No, he's um, not. And he's I, second. I think. He's second. Sorry, he's second. First in overall points. Second to the Diamond Dogs. Second out. in the table, um, which is what matters. Yeah, second to our um, our Wall Street eyes on the street. Um, Andrew Lockman, uh, owner of the Diamond Dogs. So, yeah, I think, um, and I'm hovering kind of safely mid table, right? Same as you. I think we're both in the same amount of points. I think we both have uh, 15 points through nine weeks, and you know that's basically where I was expecting to be. So I'm okay with it. Uh, I can't really say anything, though, because I'm playing Nick Harmon this week, and, and um, I hope he listens to our podcast. I don't know if he does for sure, but uh, he will take any insight he can get, and I am, right. I'm shaking in my boots a bit. I'm not going to lie. He's, he's like the big bad dog in our league, uh, <laughs> and whenever I like make a bad transfer or a start, like, I'm embarrassed to talk to him about it. He takes it very seriously. Um, <laughs> I did beat you a couple weeks I, ago, I will say, but... Um, yeah, no, Harmon, he scares me. Plus, he's like 6'8", so he's a big, friendly giant. But when it comes to fantasy prem, he takes his shit very seriously. And uh, it's going to be, a, it's gonna be a, a tough matchup for my boys this week, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I will say um, moving uh, – I did, I did something pretty ballsy last week. I dropped Lukaku and took a four-point hit to get Havertz in. Um, because I thought, you know, Werner and Lukaku are both, um, you know, Chelsea had need, need to get goals, right? And uh, and so Kai Havertz I knew was going to play up top for him, so I felt really 
you know, I felt like, you know, shit, this is smart, right? And so I'll take a hit, but I know they're playing Norwich, he's probably going to get three or four, and it turned out to be Mason Mount who got three, and uh, and he didn't get a return. So um, be wary of any player recommendations coming from me, but uh, I guess quick update on the Fantasy League. We're both safely mid-table. Um, I, uh, I've got more points than I think uh, I should be at in the table, um, but we'll, we'll come back. If you've got questions or you, you guys want advice or even, you know, you're like, hey, I'm thinking about Strat. Like, how do I play? Like, what's, what's the general kind of I, approach to Fantasy Prem? Um, I think last week we have a little group chat, me, Chris, and uh, our, the two guys who were top of the league, and all of us, uh, all of us when we took 12 points between us four. Um, and, uh, and so there might be something in the, in the yeah. sauce that uh, we know what we're doing a little bit. Maybe. I mean, if anyone needs advice on how to avoid relegation, you can come to me as well because I, I fought my way out of it last year. Maybe I have a little bit more Steve Bruce in me than I realized. Uh, I hate to say it, but <laughs> Steve um, Chess. Steve Chess. <laughs> so I just buckled down, parked the bus, and grinded out a couple of wins at the end of the season. You know, picked, you just got to play your matchups. Whenever you go against Paul Byrne, you, you got three points in the bag. So um, <laughs> I think uh, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep people posted on it if they care. Um, and I think a lot of the people in our league do listen to this, so uh, hopefully they can you know give us a little bit of shit. Um, and and hopefully Paul hears that too. So right. let's get to the predictor picks. Let's do it. First one, Liverpool, Brighton at Anfield. Go ahead. Uh, I think Brighton's actually played um, a few of the big two. They, you know, they played City decently well. They didn't look um, that course, bad against up, City. Up, they got smart. Right. They weren't really poor, I wouldn't say. I know, and that's the thing. And Brighton is this very difficult team to predict because they will draw nil-nil to Norwich, um, but then they'll also go and just handle... Um, you know, a top four side. So, because, you know, they play a good brand of, uh, a good brand of football. So, that being said, I, uh, I have Liverpool winning 2-0. Yeah, but I it's not have, a blowout. It's I've just, just been having these dreams about Mo Salah just weaving his way, shifting back and forth between these giants, Lewis Dunk and Dan Byrne, and just getting onto that left foot, just poking it in. I don't know. I just can't see anything other than Liverpool winning right now. I think... After what I saw this past weekend, like, it'll take a big shock to my system to, like, get me out of this headspace right now where I just am convinced that Salah's going to go out and score every week. He's actually scored um, in eight out of their nine matches so far this season. Uh, and obviously he yeah, has and I think, and in, I think he's in nine games. So. And, I, and I think he's got – I think it's – he scored in their last – Eight competitions. It's crazy. So I got Liverpool 3-1. I do actually think Brighton are – they're a lot better. And we talked about Potter last year about how we thought that they had, he had a good head on his shoulders tactically. Um, and they obviously had a lot of, like, XG and everything that just didn't really turn out well for them. Um, he's a name that could be linked with uh, some bigger jobs come, you know, January, February if Brighton stay towards the top of the table. But I do think Liverpool are going to win this one. I got 3-1. Um, yeah. Next, we got Spurs against United. We did talk about how this is coming up. Um, you can go for the, go for this first. Why not? Yeah, I think uh, I think Spurs win two one with a brace for Hyung uh, Hyungmin Sun. Um, and calling your shot, Sunny. Yeah, Sunny. Sunny kind of pulls him over the line here. Um, listen, the United League goals, so I don't really expect them to keep a clean sheet, and which is kind of perfect for Spurs because Spurs are struggling to score goals under under Nuno. Um, so I think it's a perfect little storm. Maybe United kind of find one via Peno or something like that. Um, but it's 2-1. And, uh, and then, again, the intensity on the hot seat. I just can't pick United to win anything right now. They would just look ter- Yeah, I'm not going to pick them to win either, but I will pick them to draw. I'm going 1-1. Spurs are really bad, too. So that's really all it comes down to. Both these teams are a little bit lost right now. 
they both have enough talent going forward to get a goal in there. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't expect a ton out of this match. It's just a couple of teams with uh, <laughs> that are really underperforming expectations. So um, the next one, this is the one you said you were changing. Norwich against Leeds. Norwich at home. I'll go first here. I have nil-nil. I just talked about how Norwich's two points this season have come from nil-nil results. I've watched Leeds a lot. Not impressed. Not going to lie. I just don't really see it this season. Uh, they just look like they're a very different team than they were last year. Uh, when Bielsa Ball came in and kind of shocked the the system of the Premier League. So uh, they need to make some changes. I just don't know if they're that good talent-wise either. Uh, Norwich are abysmal, though, so I'm going nil-nil. Yeah, they haven't brought anybody in. It's a good it's a good take on Leeds. Like they haven't made like done any successful business, right? Um, everyone they've had on their team they had last season. They brought in Dan James, who like they were really keen on, but he's been one of the worst rated signings so far since he's come over. Yeah, he hasn't really done anything. Um, and I and they have a couple injuries at the back, and you know Leeds is kind of this ragtag group where everyone knows how they're going to play. It's all about individual match, matchups. You know, 11 v eleven, a bunch eleven one v ones all across the pitch. Um, and people have kind of figured that out, right? And so if you're able to beat one man for pace, you create space for yourself and, and can nick a goal or two, and they're a little bit easier to defend as long as you may take care of your man. So um, that being said, uh, during our discussion about how bad Norwich were earlier, I had this game as 1-0 Norwich, and I was like, ooh, they're going to sneak out a win because leads are terrible. But then the more we talked about it, the more I realized, like, yeah, i got to play the odds here. It's going to be 2-0 leads. Norwich are awful. Let's move on. This could be their win. Um, Who knows? Next game, we've got Aston Villa versus West Ham. Chris, what do you got? Uh, I hate to do this. Villa have been pretty rough. They've lost three straight. Um, they looked really bad against Arsenal. There's a little bit of buzz from some of our Villa fans over in England, mainly Niall, who's always cynical, talking about how Dean Smith isn't the guy. I'm not that far uh, you know, in the, in the hole mentally with Villa right now. I still think they have a lot of talent. They've had injuries. Um, I think the issue with them is they don't necessarily know their best formation and tactical setup yet. They've been flip-flopping a lot between four and five at the back. They've been playing Ings and Watkins together, and it hasn't really been working. So there's a lot to figure out. Um, West Ham have been very solid. David Moyes has just totally redeemed his career. Um, and I think they keep it rolling. I'm going to go 2 nil West Ham away. Yeah, I think West Ham and Villa are totally are two totally opposite teams in terms of um, the ethos in the club right now. So West Ham, very clear-cut, best 11, right? Um, Antonio's up top, Suchek Rice in the middle, um, fill it, and then, you know, fill in your three with Bowen, ben Rama, Fornals, Fornals. and, ben, and ben, ben Rama, right? Um, and then at the back, um, you know, they have Zuma and I think Ogbonna. most of the time either, uh, yeah, Ogbonna, um Cresswell, uh, Fabianski, and then right back who fall when he's healthy. They've, so Yeah, he, um, they've been playing... Uh, Johnson back there, but I don't know if yeah. Sufal might have picked up a knock. I'm not sure. Yeah, he did. He's he's hurt. So it's like West Ham absolutely know their best eleven, and they absolutely know that the way that they want to play. And there's a lot of cohesion in that squad. Kind of reminds me of actually Villa at the beginning of the season last year, um, where we very much knew who the best eleven was, um, and that helps a lot. Um, I think because the, they already know the eleven they're going to put out. Um, they just played a good game against City in the cup today and won in penalties. Um, and Villa in the opposite spot, where they, you know, they're playing Watkins and, and Ings up top together in a, in a five-three-two. 
They have Tuan Zabi, you know, at the back, and they're inviting a lot of pressure. Their wingbacks have looked good at times, but then there's also a couple big errors that cost us goals in games. Um, and, yeah, it's just a bit, you know, you th- the Wolves collapse was an absolute nightmare, and they're sort of still reeling from that Wolves collapse. And so I think what Dean Smith needs to do is change the formation a little bit and get some of the um, attacking wide players into the mix because we've looked real decent in wide positions with with the, with both Matt Target and Matty Cash on, on the outside. But ultimately, like, they're not going to have the same kind of goal threat that a Leon Bailey or uh, uh, Bertrand Traore will have. So um, I'm looking for Dean Smith to go back to a 4-3-3 and then um, Bailey to look really good and, and sort of, um, you know, start to actually pick up some some assists um, and goals. And so I went 1-1 just because I actually feel like if Villa do that, they can come out here with a result. But at West Ham's a good side, fourth on the table for a reason. So I, I have 1-1. Yeah, um, I love. I think you think that the listeners are going to pick up on the fact that we went like five minutes longer on Villa versus every other predictor game. Uh, no, moving on. Uh, next uh, game, we've got we got Wolves versus Everton. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go one one. Wolves just feel like a one one side. I don't really have much else to say. Love that. I have. Uh, I have. Don't they though? To one. Yeah, I mean, this just this game won't have a lot of goals in it. Um, I've got Everton winning one nil. Rafa will kind of. Want to course correct the boys a little bit after that tough loss to Watford, that collapse to Watford, and so I think they eat this one out one nil. Calvert Lewin should be back to fitness, and maybe he snags a goal. Yeah, it'll be interesting. He was in uh, really good form before he got hurt, um, so hopefully he can come back and start firing. They have a really weird team without him. I mean, he's obviously a pretty big upgrade on Solomon Rendon. So, um, all right. So before we get out of here, let's let's give a little update on the the standings, should we? Why not? All right, I gotta just I gotta find it quick here. Um, so right, yeah, I, you said you said that, and I thought, okay, yeah. Okay, no, I got it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I got it. Okay, so um, we'll just do top three. You and I are uh, pretty level. We're in twelfth and thirteenth, so we don't need to go any more than that. Um, all right, third place is Big Stiff himself, Stephen McConnell, 118 points. Hey. Well done, Stiff. Doing a lot better in the predictor app than you are on the fantasy table. Good to see. Uh, second place. This is a highly contested uh, between two two uh, real big workhorses here. Second place, we got Aaron Zinda on 128 points. Do you know who's in first? No, I don't. I don't know. Ugh. It's Harmon. Tall guy bets. Is it really? 69, 142 points. Yeah, he's just killing us and everything. Just making us look like fools. Jesus. Maybe he should host the pod. Yeah, maybe he should. Maybe he should host the pod. Uh, well, as a quick reminder, we did. We did. We did make a new. Uh, we did make a new uh, league this season for the Predictor League. So if you want to join, just download the NBC Sports Predictor app. It's really easy, free, win, win cash. Um, the invite link or to the code you type in to get into our league is S nine Y Q B six. So that's S nine Y Q B six. Or you can just go to our Twitter. We've, uh, I think pinned the link to the, yeah, um, just go in and win, win a cool 50 K. It's easy. Right. And then thank us because we gave you some wisdom. Um, Chris, that's, that's all I got. You got anything else to add before we get out of here? No, I'm excited to be back though. Hopefully people like this episode, give us feedback. Love to hear it and, um, enjoy the weekend. We're going to have some more good fixtures and, uh, this prem season has been awesome. So I'm excited to keep getting uh, more into it and, and putting out some more pods going forward. All right. Cheers, guys. Uh, Just goes to show. Everybody's human.